0: blog talk radio
1: The information discussed during the show is not intended to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure any condition. If your pet is currently experiencing any medical issues, please seek immediate assistance from a licensed veterinarian.
2: Good morning. This is Dr. Caroline O'Sullivan speaking to you from Holistic Veterinary Care and Acupuncture Center here in Prescott Valley, Arizona. So welcome to Holistic Pet Care with Dr. O. I would like to encourage everybody that's listening to get involved in the show today by calling us with your questions and speak to our wonderful guests today at 347-215-6138. So once again, Get involved, give us a call during the show, 347-215-6138. I'd also like to encourage our podcast listeners to email questions to listeners at sylviaglobal.com. So once again, the listeners at sylviaglobal.com and phone us in, 347-215-6138. Today we're going to talk about an extremely heartfelt subject for me and for many other people. And we're lucky enough to have a very, very experienced voice about this topic. And um, I'd like to welcome with a heartfelt thank you to Jamie Barilla who is our guest today to talk about all things pity. Good morning, Jamie. How are you?
1: Good morning, Dr. O. Oh, I'm fine. How are you?
2: I'm awesome, awesome. I'm on my second cup of coffee, so I think today is just <clears> going to go perfectly, perfectly. So today's topic is all things pity, meaning pit bulls. Pit bull terriers, American Staffordshire Terriers, whatever it is that we want to call them. Um, they are a a breed, a mixed breed dog that is very close to my heart. I am the proud, proud mom of a wonderful pit bull, and I am... Um, very much an advocate for this breed and the conversation that I hope to have today with you and hopefully some of our listeners will be to uh, go over some history, go over some urban legends, some misconceptions, um, go over some, in my end here, a little bit of medicine, a bunch of holistic uh, approaches that you and I both share for our, our friends and then also help as much as we can to educate um, or to provide information to inform our listening audience uh, about how wonderful these guys are and how being not necessarily open-minded, but just being well-informed about controversial and sometimes scary issues, sometimes based solely in fear, uh, is very empowering and can help everyone involved. So it's gonna be, we're going to go over a lot of stuff, Um, But it's just such an important topic for such a wonderful, wonderful creature. (laughs) So um, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and just letting us know a little bit about your history with these guys and what makes you such a powerful advocate for them, that would be great.
1: Sure. I'm Jamie Barilla, and um, I spent 25 years with the Phoenix Police Department. Most of that time, um, I was a narcotics detective, and you can guess what breed of dog I ran across most often, the pit bulls. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. so through personal experience, I learned that they are not only very misunderstood, but overbred, abused, and neglected, and they just needed me.
0: Yeah, very
2: nice, very nice. Now, um, you you personally... um, took one or two
1: of these little darlings home, didn't you? Is that what I, I heard or read? That, I
0: did,
1: um, Yeah. My first pet was a rescue from a meth lab, and I ended up adopting her. I The story goes, I was in this house before we knew it was a meth lab, a couple of different times undercover, and this uh-huh. big intimidating brindle dog would come up and just sit on my feet and look up at me, <laughs> and she was just so <laughs> endearing. And you know, then we ended up having to do a drug raid on the house and ended up, um it was it wasn't good. Everybody got arrested and the dog was sent to the pound and on her last day I went down and adopted her. This is Mr. <laughs> and I fell in love. <laughs> I fell so, in love so you with got the to breed. adopt her
2: as a, you got to adopt her as a civilian going to a shelter and picking her up because she was wonderful versus having it be anything that was you know, was her um, her last chance, I'm guessing. You know, once they go
1: to shelter it was, after having an incident like that, is that true? It was. It was her last chance, and I had been keeping track because I just couldn't get her out of my mind. So I had been keeping track <laughs> over there at the at the at the shelter.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I absolutely know how that is. My my boy. Uh, now my my pitbull. His name is Gambate. And Gambate translates into never surrender um, because he went through some things not near what you have experienced with Jamie, but um, on my end of the spectrum with the veterinary medicine piece of it, he was brought to our office uh, where he used to work to be put to sleep because he has parvovirus, which is is a very, uh, very vicious, very violent virus that gets puppies. And because of some of the things we'll talk about with regard to lack of care, neglect, those types of things, a lot of times this breed, along with many others, don't get proper puppy care. And so I, over the course of my experience in medicine, have unfortunately come face-to-face with too many, too many parvo victims. And uh, so I, I I took him home. <laughs> I, I, I was like, okay, you know what, I, I, you, know, you, can only, you can only do that so much before you have to step in as a um, as a heart, you know, your heart and your soul versus your job, and um, so he, he's still, <laughs> so he, he, you know, he had Parvo, and he luckily I had the education and the resources to help him through that, and then since then, he has, um, he has um, some vision issues, he has some neck issues, and he blew both of his knees, his cranial cruciates, which is a discussion for a different day, but and he did all this in our short three years together. So he—he he has, he has definitely been a project. He's be, definitely been the most wonderful, caring trooper that you know that I could ever hope for. And and perpetually kind and loving and licking. And he um my Gambate <laughs> does this wonderful thing every morning. When you either wake up, or when he sees you, or maybe sometimes when you come home from work, where he literally he's, he's got this huge chest, you know, and this wonderful big head, and you know he's just a strong boy, and he sticks his head up the air, kind of like a coyote, and he purses his little lip. And sorry for our listeners, but here it comes. He goes this big like he it's this tiny little puppy suit thing that he does. <laughs> so and then he's got to have his wooby all the time. You know he's got his basketball or his stuffed animal. And this is after going through amazing amounts of invasive surgeries and having you know horrible, life threatening, full body diseases that, you know, they hurt and they they actually part of what literally tries to kill you in a horrible way and then going through rehab and like I said, this doesn't even scratch the surface of what you've been through, Jamie, but with regard to the fact that they are forever forgiving and just wonderful and um it's fun so resilient. And, they're just so resilient and so joyful because seeing this 80-pound, pure black, well, with the little white strip, just kind of brick, just kind of trotting towards you mm-hmm. with a little lip while pursed at his head up in the air, just happy to see you, and it just, it, it, it makes you want to cry. I mean, he just... He's, always bringing joy to me, and, you know, and, and taking care of some of the things he's been through who made me want to cry for other reasons, truthfully, but um, I just can't, and as being a professional veterinarian that's seen animals in all kinds of situations, good, bad, abusive, um, unfortunately some meth things like you are talking about, um, I, I honestly think they're one of the most wonderful breeds that we deal with in veterinary medicine and personally with regard to their tolerance, their... Their love, their forgiveness, and such. So, let's let's proceed with um, your your end of this whole thing. With regard to, um, you have done some article writing. You've done a lot of research based on the facts and um, information that you have in your articles. So, um, if you would um, indulge us with your education about the experience that um, I guess the history of how our friends got into our lives in this, the picture that they're in now. I would really like to hear that. That would be great.
1: Okay, well, let me do my best to start at what we, <laughs> what we believe is the beginning. This type of pit bull dog um, was believed to have been created by English breeders by crossing a bulldog with a terrier. They wanted the strength and the muscle and the strong jaws of the bulldog, and they wanted the aggressiveness and the tenacity of the terrier. Okay. They were bred for some blood sports, bull baiting, bear baiting, ratting, all of which are blood sports for gambling and human entertainment, but gambling. Uh-huh, um, they yeah, were then, gambling and entertainment. Yeah. They were then brought to America by some of the first English and Irish immigrants. And um, in America, the breed was kind of solidified and named. They named it the American Pitbull Terrier. Uh-huh. Okay. So b- baiting was still widespread in the early 1800s. Um, but life in America became something else for the pit bull, some of them. People began to appreciate them for their love and devotion and just how loyal they were to their humans, and especially mm-hmm. kids. They just love kids. So um, many of the large pioneer families would own a pit bull, and this dog would oh. protect their home. What
2: was the Not example from, you used the television show? What was it, The Little Rascals?
1: was yes. wasn't their dog a pit bull on TV? Yes, Yes. their dog was a pit bull, so was the... Um, the Buster Brown dog, the RCA dog. I mean there was a time yeah. in America where the pit bull was just an icon. It was used in war um World War One propaganda and military posters, all kinds of things like that. All right. So on. go ahead. Yeah, and, anyway, um, by the time these baiting sports were outlawed and became illegal, unfortunately it was still acceptable to make dogs fight each other. So that's what we had. We had dog fighting. We had, on one side of it, we had the family dog, who could also be a fighting dog, which is just incredible to think about. But um, aggression towards humans has never been tolerated in the pit bull type dog. Um, Mm -hmm. It just wasn't allowed. Um, These owners or handlers needed to be able to pick up their dog in the middle of a fight and not get bit. So it just wasn't tolerated. It's not part of the breed. Right, Um, Right. and it?
2: All of the all of these traits are definitely uh, fostered and bred into or out of them based on what humans want um, with regard to their, you know, whether they're, they're fighting or whether they're able to, like you said, pick them up in the middle of a fight and not get bit because they're so tolerant right. of humans, yet, uh, you know, they have an inbred aggression towards other animals, you know, sometimes depending on the right. breed line, line breeding and those types of things. So right. they sounds like they have a history of always being so tolerant for humans and everything that we put yes. them through, unfortunately. And imagine
1: how hard that is for a dog in the middle of a fight. I mean, I can't see many other breeds of dogs behaving that way, you know, uh, toward people. Uh, it, yeah, yeah, it just,
2: uh, that it's just... And this tolerant. is one of the many sports that humans, um, for whatever reason, we're probably not going to get into that today, but um, use, creatures. For their entertainment, whether that's cockfighting, whether that's dogfighting, whether that's racing, whether that, you know what the things that we do to get entertainment and, like you said, betting and such. And how long has this mm-hmm. been going on,
1: Jamie? Well, it's been going on forever. They, I think betting goes back to maybe the 1600s. It's yeah, just, so, um yeah. So in this country, and that that once once the um, tell, tell us about the uh, dogfighting
2: finally being recognized its brutality legally
1: yes and it took a long time in america it took until 1976 to make dog fighting a felony in all 50 states mm. um yeah but mm. the media coverage of the campaign to pass this law had some very unintended consequences these news stories had images of these muscular intimidating snarling looking pit bull dogs and you know meant to meant to show how scary and awful dog fighting was, but it had a different effect on the public. Um, it spawned these urban legends and myths of locking jaws and bite pressure and dogs with super strength and superpowers, and they were impervious to pain and things like that. And I think for the first time our culture had an image or could imagine a dog that could seriously injure or kill a person. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. They began to see these dogs more as the criminals rather than the felons that were forcing them to fight. So that was kind of that was kind of how, how we started letting our all American dog down right there. And then on the heels of that came that uh, well the crack cocaine epidemic in the early eighties. Where gang members suddenly found themselves with a lot of money from selling drugs, they started to adopt status symbols like you know the gold chains. Expensive uh-huh. cars and you guessed it, the pit bull. The pit bulls, the pit, the pit bulls, yeah. Um Wow. Wow. Um,
2: so there so there's there's definitely a, a historical chain up till now, be it legal or illegal, but what what did
1: you say? Nineteen seventy something? I'm sorry. Nineteen seventy six.
0: And nineteen seventy six
1: is when they made it illegal, yeah. And, and then there, in the nineteen eighties. The yeah. But it was yeah, it was the Fighting Act, and uh, they added a fighting amendment to um, the yeah. Animal Welfare Act.
2: Yeah, Animal yeah, Welfare Act. okay, great.
1: So, so at this point, dog
2: fighting, which you know, um, goes underground.
1: Yeah, it's
0: yeah, rest, rest. and
1: you know, it never ever really went away all these years, but this did send it, you know, deep underground. But then in the 80s, you know, another culture. You know, with the gang members and the rap music and that kind of thing, adopted this dog and dog fighting, and somehow used dog fighting to show their toughness. Uh-huh. Uh, it was just—it uh-huh. was just a, the the pit bull and dog fighting kind of had a new criminal reputation or renewed criminal reputation. And I think maybe at this time, some of the responsible breeders who really uh-huh. cared about the breed may have abandoned the dogs you know they may have abandoned the breed at this time because of its reputation and this is also the time when you know the mid-80s when we started to hear some reports of pit bull attacks and there was just more media hysteria and then at that time the mid to late 80s is when we started seeing the breed bands you know different cities across the country right. banning pit bulls right. and yeah. you know, this is where how we got to where we are
2: and when we when we start even with uh, taking a, a kind of a step out, not back, but when we start to think about whether it's our lives or our pets or our friends or our responsibility as being an advocate for our four-legged friends or uh, in our life, this media you know this media piece and the fear element and those types of things, I can tell you personally that um, my <laughs> My personal family, where nothing—I got to be honest with you—nothing bad with the dog has ever happened, ever. So it all comes from the outside, the inundation of information from media or just gossip and those types of things. You know, the urban legend type stuff. Where my, uh, my extremely well-educated, world-traveled, just kind of out there stepmother—I can tell you honestly that she is. So fearful of anything that even comes close to looking like a big, of muscular dog, and she just mm-hmm. says it out loud. She says, "Oh my gosh, is, is that a pit bull?" I'm like, "Yeah, why? Yeah, yeah, you know Get, 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 get over it. You know, come here and yes. pet this dog. You know." And she's yes. a dog owner, a dog lover, a super dog advocate, and um, it really has permeated so much of our culture here, and I run into it all the darn time, even people that come to my house, so those types of things, just the way you approach them, and we'll talk about that, is so much different than walking up to, like, let's say, a Labrador or anything else, you know, you just kind of walk up and you go pat, pat, pat on their head, there's that kind of stall, which, which I guess is good news, bad news, but uh, when we talk about the, that overall picture and how these things get leaked into our lives, even if, you have never seen one. you've never touched one you 've never been involved with one it' it It seems as though it's deeply embedded in a lot of folks yes, so um, at some point, I would like to touch on how it is that we're going to work on that as a community and as people lovers and people advocates and such so with your with your work with what you do um, how is it that you, with all of your experience with the police department and your personal experience and all of your historical information, all of your factual information, how is it that you approach somebody who's not necessarily nasty about things but they're just fearful and they just don't know and that's pretty much what today's show is about. It's just to help people. So how would you approach somebody um, that was in that place with does that pick? Unreasonable. Yeah, fear. it's
1: all about <laughs> education and education, and if you can get someone to at least open their mind uh-huh, to new ideas yes. about these dogs, it's you know it, it works because I always tell people come and meet my dog. If you've never met a pit bull, of course you feel this way because all you know is what you've been you know seen in the media, heard these urban legends, things like that. Right. If right. Somebody's willing you know to learn some things and and meet one of these dogs, it changes their mind pretty quickly,
2: yeah yeah i couldn't I couldn't agree with you more now for for folks that are just out there listening and they want to take that first step towards dispelling the myth and dispelling their own fear based on you know information that they get from public media. Where would you where would you tell folks to go if they don't if they don't know a friend that's got one or even a cross or those types of things? Where where do we tell people to start educating themselves?
1: You know there are a lot of good websites. Um, the National Canine Research Council, and it's um it's a great organization, and um, they they give grants for research. And they're very scientific and facts, straightforward facts. And if you want to learn the truth about pit bulls, they have some great information there on their website. Uh There's a book that you can read right there on their website called The Pit Bull Placebo. It's by Karen DeLeese. I think she's the organizer. And it's excellent. It has great information. And it's all factual. It's scientific. Also, you know, just I would encourage someone to go to a shelter or because you know going to a shelter is another experience in itself. Because you know they're all full of pit bull type dogs. Yes, yes, and they just, are. Yes, they the are. Pit bull type dogs are just really overrepresented in the shelters. So, I mean, just well, let's let's, I, talk, I, let's
2: talk about that a little bit because you know in your article and of course in reality here there are reasons why these dogs you know why the pits and the pit crosses up. Are so overrepresented in shelter, and can we kind of go over that a little bit? Whether it's the inline sure. breeding, whether it's the you know they're just I want one and I you know they got too big or whatever whatever it is. What what are, what's, sure. what are your thoughts on overrepresentation?
1: Uh, well, my thoughts are that um, the reputable breeders kind of abandon the breed at some point. There's still some really good ones out there, but the pit bull is far more bred illicitly than legitimately. So, you know, you don't necessarily have the good people, the good breeders breeding these dogs. Um, you know, pit bulls are found in cultures and areas where people aren't likely to spay, neuter. Oh, you know, uh-huh. okay. And also, they're found in cultures and in areas where people are likely to want to use their dogs for gain or, you know, to make a buck in whatever way. I found yeah. I
2: found that um when I was when I was in uh you know, a different parts of the country and such like you said, there was um a lot of you know, not not staying here which is, you know, everyone's you know, personal and place with overpopulation and such. But a lot of the whole just like any other breed. Oh my gosh, they're so cute. Oh my gosh, they're so mm-hmm. cute. And to get one as a pup or um as you pointed out in your lovely article that some people started breeding for certain characteristics and when you start breeding too close in the genetic pool or you start to do what's called line breeding, sometimes you get characteristics, get exaggerated because we don't have a big pool to select from in the breeding. And um, people would, as soon as they started getting big, or people, owners, did not take the steps of social and personal responsibility.
1: Exactly.
2: Whether it's, learning what it is that you own, learning what it is that, you know, the, the power that they have, because we can't, we can't lie, we need to be completely honest here, that these are very, very physically powerful dogs and, you know, right. sweet, kind, wonderful, whatever, whatever their personality is, physically alone, these are extremely powerful dogs. And so we need to be, we need to have our, our, our obedience our training, our temperament testing, which I really want to get into with you. We want to get into exercise, good nutrition, a lot of exposure to other things, you know, at a young age for these guys, if for no other reason that we are about to own an extremely, well, an extremely powerful per body weight an extremely, you know, energetic an extremely excited, you know, wonderful, playful dog – that um, we need to be able to have control over in the way we need to be able to have control over um, many other things in our life so we don't hurt others, including ourselves or our friend, our dog friend. So um, if you could take a moment and kind of, if you want, I know you went into this quite a bit, if you can explore with me a little bit, let's say we have puppy from ground up and everything that we can... Uh, help people understand that may help keep puppy in the house for a lifetime, in the family for a lifetime, without being accused of anything, without being, you know, I'm profiled in a large word, but for behaviors. How do we keep this pit bull puppy, this pit bull dog, whether it's adopted or not, as safe as possible from having anything bad happen to it? Um, and I That's know you're the said. pro we- on this.
1: Well, no, that's just it. Um, we do have to protect them because there are, I, I have to say, there are people that don't like them. And, you know, there are. A, this country has pit bull haters. You know, and we do have to protect them, and we have to kind of be better than their reputation. You know, we could have a golden yeah. retriever, and it wouldn't be the same as owning a pit bull. They need socialization. <laughs> uh, yeah, it very much could be. But, yeah. but they, I mean, they... They need socialization. They need they need training. They need a lot of exposure to a lot of things. Um, they need exercise. Uh-huh. They're not they're not they can be a couch potato, but they're you know somewhat active dog. They need all these things to be successful, and we need to help them be successful in society.
2: Right, right, right. And that our um, our our pit bull friends, along with all of our other dogs, of course, but with dogs that are somewhat pigeonholed, and like you said, there absolutely are, you know, pit haters out there, and hate is such a bad, it's such a strong, strong word, but I've met them. I know that they exist. I know that they have a, that I know that there are people that have an instant bias to and against these dogs. And I don't see that as being any different than any other kind of bigotry or bias or profiling all the things that um, that we don't think are positive, most of us, but when we turn that on our, um, on, our, on our dogs who can't advocate for themselves, can't speak for themselves, can't protect themselves, you know, relatively speaking, and can't control the things, the environment, and the people that they're with, um, I think that our responsibility um, is tenfold, at least, to make sure that we do a good least. job for these
1: guys. Yes, yeah, so and we um, have to you know, take personal, personal accountability. Hmm, absolutely. These, uh, and then so we can go ahead.
2: Oh, I'm sorry. And then uh, you had written in your article about making having our pits be ambassadors for the breed. So sometimes these wonderful, amazing, uh, kind of mind-blowing behaviors and activities that dogs in general can do. But I think people are even more taken back sometimes when they see a pit doing it. Now, in your article, you had some wonderful examples of our pity friends that have done things over history that have been completely over the top. Um, can you go over that a little bit? Give, some, give our listeners some examples
1: of um, the amazing achievements of these guys that have actually made it to the media in a positive way. Sure. And it, we go back to their breeding and what the traits that are characteristic of the pit bull. Um, they have a never give up, don't stop attitude. And this is the same attitude that helps them be successful at anything we ask of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's several examples, the famous search and rescue pits, the three of them, Cheyenne, Dakota, and Tahoe. I, I have a picture of them on my mouse pad with the American flag at Ground Zero after 9-11. You know, they worked nonstop at, the, at Ground Zero and at the Pentagon after 9-11. Um,
2: what what, was, the, what it, was the name of them? The three dogs?
1: Yeah, they were Cheyenne, Dakota, and Tahoe. And they were pit bulls, and they responded to over 2,000 Missions in their careers. Wow, wow! And that was you know, that I was
2: no think... so small shakes there, especially at, especially at Ground Zero at nine eleven. I uh, when I was in Connecticut, I dealt with a bunch of the dogs there that were going back and forth from Connecticut uh, to Ground Zero. And the work that they did, and the emotional, and the physical exertion, and the ripped up, torn up paws, you know, from going oh, through yeah. the rubble. And I mean, good, and then the exposure to all of the dust and the debris and the um, I know that I saw, I think, two of our dogs that were really having emotional, not, not emotional problems, but they were just so damn exhausted, um, and all they wanted to do was go back to work. You know, they just, they, you know, okay. have a little sleep and then turn around and go. But over time, you could see it just come right out of them. So I can't even imagine
0: 2,000
2: missions for these
1: guys. Holy and smokes. And, you know, they're trained to find people. You know, that's when they get happy that's their happy time they need to find people and when they don't they get depressed It's
0: time for them quite a depressing
2: yeah. time for them though. Goodness
1: yeah me. and um, you know pit bulls are successful at like i said just about anything we ask of them um except for maybe protection against people because that's not in them but you know they're police dogs um Narcotics, fine dogs, bomb dogs, they can do it all. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And then, what, What's our World War I story? I read about that in your article. I was just too oh, impressed. Oh, Stubby. Stubby. Stubby was a little, um, well, he's, I've read many reports of him being a pit mix. I also read that he could have been a Boston Bulldog pit mix. Oh, and Boston yeah. Bulldog was the old term for Boston Terrier. But anyway, he was a cool little dog. He was found in a field by some soldiers that were training and then snuck onto a ship when they deployed. And he became, <laughs> <laughs> he became the most decorated dog in World War I, and he was the only dog to be promoted to sergeant through combat. He was injured himself once, uh-huh. sent to the back, and then went back to the trenches with his, with his guys. So he, he was very famous. He Actually, after the war, he met three presidents.
2: Three presidents? <laughs> yeah. <in a> wow, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's quite, quite the accomplishment. And then you have kind of a sad story about one of one of the dogs that was found apparently in a raid, like you're talking about with some of your experience. And uh, what was our little darling's name? Popsicle.
1: Yes, he got the name Popsicle because unfortunately he was found in a freezer. This was in 1997 um, during a drug raid. You know, he was actually in a garbage bag locked in a freezer. You know, he was a little puppy, near death, skin and bones, bloody. Um, So obviously he went to the shelter and he survived. Mm -hmm. The shelter Mm -hmm. staff was just so impressed with what he'd already survived. They thought, this dog is amazing. You know, talk about resilience. So they contacted U.S. Customs. And U.S. Customs canine school is really hard to get into. But he not only got in but graduated at the top of his class. You know, and just a couple months after he graduated, he made the largest, Drug bust to date at the Mexican border. He he located cocaine in a pine, pineapple truck, and I think it was over three over three thousand pounds of cocaine. So he wow, got wow. some awards. He got some awards, and he went on Oprah. <laughs> oh, he went on Oprah.
0: Oh my yeah. gosh.
1: So, you, so you, yeah. yeah, yeah. You you know he's doing all right. Then goodness gracious. The
2: um I, I wanted um I share an experience with you when I was on the East Coast. I went to the um the gunfire trials, the canine trials on the East Coast, and, um, you know, a a big, this was outdoor, not indoor, like the one in Vegas, so we go, and um, I'm watching these dogs, you know, these Sheps and these Malinois and such, and, you know, the the bad guy in his bite suit and the good guy with his dog on the stage and then sending the dog after him, and just, just pure power, just watching these dogs do these amazing things and outrun their handlers by, no kidding, <laughs> just fantastic oh, yeah. amounts. And these are just awesome, awesome dogs. So I was basically at the verge of tears watching these wonderful dogs. And then the, um, the uh, police officers or, or whoever happened to be there with their dogs at the trial when it was over, I just kind of went through and was just kind of, you know, saying, you know, giving my, like, shocked kudos. And I, I'll tell you, for honest to God, sure, half of the people that were there in law enforcement put their working dogs in the back of their vehicles, in their crates, and immediately took out their pit bulls and these guys was said honestly <laughs> half, of the, half of the folks that were there during the gun trials they had their working dogs and then they half of them came and they, they took out their pits and they you know wandering around and letting them play and doing the oh. and I was like I'm like what I'm like where would you guys get these dogs cuz they were all so wonderful, so social, so goofing around, just but perfectly well-behaved. And they said they're all confiscations. They're, you know, all these dogs, they got them on raids and they got them somewhere. And they said they just weren't willing to let them go and that they had a horrible life up until a point where they got confiscated. And now they're living the life of Riley with their police officers and their canine working partners and such. But so I've met many, many uh, law enforcement folks that did the exact same thing that you did with regard to. I'm not yeah. leaving them behind. You know, I'm just not right. doing it. So um, th- that was uh, that was my first that was my first hit with with the the, the kind of law enforcement. The, the purely nothing good ever happened to me. Gigantic pit bull in my life, and they went and they did the game family dogs with these police officers, and they just go everywhere they go just like, you know, myself and my dog. So I was duly, duly impressed, and that's never that image has never fitted for me. So, um, that's great.
1: Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I do. I think at one time half the people I knew probably had one of my rescue dogs.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: well, it's, that's so funny because once it starts, you know, it just doesn't stop. Now, you've also expanded... Um, your love for these guys your education with them, your experience with them in trying to help people here locally, uh, whether it's with understanding, exposure, um, obedience classes or those types of things. Can you tell us a little bit about that, how you've tried to take things full full swing?
1: Sure. I, I work with a local dog trainer and I teach some puppy classes and... You know, I always try to educate. I was asked to write um, an article on the pit bull for the Prescott Dog Magazine. And, you know, uh-huh. any, any chance I get, I'll i will I'll go out and try to educate and spread the word. Well, tell us a little bit about um, our
2: temperament testing um, that you mentioned in your article because I think that's so important with regard to um, seeing, seeing what our dogs are made of and what, you know, um, I guess more like getting your badge, saying that, uh, you know, my temperament is above bar, you know, and that don't be afraid of me. I've got my, you know, I've got my test. Um, And sometimes it helps people, right? I mean, just like when you do therapy dogs, like we were talking about earlier through Delta or TDI and such, there's a lot of work that has to go into this. And when you, um, you had some wonderful statistics with regard to temperament testing on our topic for today, our pit bull friend. So would you mind going over that for our listening audience? Which once again, I want to encourage you guys to call in with questions, please. This is an important topic for today. Three four seven two one five six one
1: three eight. Thank you. Go ahead. Jamie,
2: sure,
0: and I do perso-
1: sure, and I do personally. and I do personally know um, several pit bulls oh. that are therapy dogs. Um, Actually, Jamie, can we, c- can we just? I'm sorry, honey. Can we just hold on one second? We've got Becky on the line with a
2: comment. Sure. Becky, can we help? Ha- Welcome to the show, Becky. Thank you for calling. Hi, Oh, hello. Hello. Hi, it's Becky. Thank you for calling. How can we How can we assist you today?
0: Well, I was just going to call in and comment about the therapy dog part because, as you know, I'm a I've been in therapy dog work for 13 years, and uh-huh. I'm a tester. I'm a tester observer, and uh, we do have quite a few bulls up here in Las Vegas that are part of our therapy dog program. Yay. Excellent. So, um, Jamie,
2: this is Becky. Becky, this is Jamie. You guys seem to be on the same the same uh wavelength with regard to our respect for these guys. Um so Becky, can you share with us for a minute your observations and those types of things with regard to these our pity friends?
0: And your that well, Sure. I, I must say that uh I also own a breed that uh, has almost the same stigma-attached to uh, Dobermans, and uh, so my see. first therapy dog was a 108-pound cropped and docked female Doberman that I thought everybody would love, and the first day I walked into my, the hospice facility, some of the people were running for cover, uh, so uh, I totally understand uh, the perception of our, our breeds. Um, and I'll have to be honest, even though I own Dobermans, I've always had a fear of pit bulls until... I met Dr. O'Sullivan with Gambate and some other friends (laughs) at half pit bull. (laughs) And uh, my first uh, pit bull that I tested uh, to be a therapy dog actually scared me as well. Um, And so when we went to do our visits in a nursing home, I suggested that maybe she would dress her dog up with a scarf or something to maybe break the ice. And it actually worked. Um, We went in with this cute little pity that was just so sweet and – Everybody didn't even, uh, they didn't even realize she was a pit bull. They just thought she was really cute, and they just wanted to pet her. And then somebody said, oh, what kind of dog is she? And they said, oh, she's a pit bull. And they went, oh, okay. So I think they're being a little, they're being received a lot better. Um, Mm -hmm. People are more knowledgeable, and there are a lot of pit bulls in Las Vegas. I don't know if it's because it's a bigger city like Phoenix. Um, But... uh, I just thought I'd mention that that we do have quite a few dogs that are pickles in our therapy dog group. And and you you guys broke guys
2: by putting a little bandana around this dog, so you kind of threw them off. Just you know, rather than coming in as a full fledged muscular, classic looking pit cross or something like that, you guys just <laughs> kind of threw the humans off by using a bandana. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, how, how are but... you feeling about your how are you feeling about your exposure to the pitties and pitty crosses now? That you're feeling pretty comfy.
0: Or are you just going to well, yeah. throw, or what, what like do you any, think you're seeing from? Well, I think it's like anything else. When we got our first Doberman, I thought my husband was crazy. I was even afraid of him being alone at home with him for a while, because I, I grew up only knowing the bad side of Dobermans, and now, you know, of course I love them. But um, I think <laughs> the more time I spent with people that have pit bulls, uh, the more I understand the breed and uh, the love people have for them. And, and. You know, people may not understand why I left overmens. So, you know, I think Jamie's right. It's about educating people and trying yeah. to um, remove the stigma. And unfortunately, there's been too many negative things directed towards the breed, you know, with Michael Vick and, um, you know, the gangs and, and people using them more in a negative way than a positive way. Mm-hmm. So we have yeah. to educate people and, and hopefully change their minds about that. Good. Sure. Thank
2: you so much, Becky. That was awesome. Ray, that's awesome plug to these guys. And I'm glad you're actually getting your hands and your education and your testing observation on these guys and getting them into the – you're going into um, into hospice, or are you are going into medical facilities to do some
0: visitation with them? Yeah, some of them even do reading programs with children. Um, the children read to them. It builds up their um, confidence in reading because the dogs don't laugh at them. So, yeah. yeah, and we're not allowed to discriminate against the breeds in, in the group that I test for. So we – we allow Good. all breeds, and uh, it's it's a great thing. Oh, my gosh. What an
2: example you are, Becky. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you so much for calling. <laughs> I
0: really appreciate Thank it. Thank
2: you. Thanks for what you bye do, bye. Becky. But, Jamie, there's some really great folks out there doing some stuff. But, Becky, I they know really she's, been around, she's been around the Dobies and the, and the Sheps and, the, you know, the police dogs and, the, you know, the, the high drive, high drive, high drive, kind of scary bark, you know, big teeth dogs. And it's Mm -hmm. interesting for me to hear that she had her reservations about, you know, our our pit bull friends as well. So she's having to (laughs) self-educate herself,
1: goodness gracious. Um, Yeah, but how great what she's doing. It's just great. You know, and she's right. You know, there are a lot of pit bulls here in Arizona too, and people are becoming more accepting slowly but surely. You know, there still are those. i met or I've worked with a a lady recently that – was terrified of pit bulls, but she'd never really known one. So, I was walking right. with my dog next to her with her border collie, and she was saying, "I can't believe I'm walking next to a pit bull." You know? <laughs> and, and you know, we went on. And the next week, she asked if she could walk my dog, and she did. And so, we're changing things.
2: Uh, good for you. And it's just, it's just so powerful. And uh, I'm not sure what it is about uh, individual humans or individual experience, or um, having a diversity of experience, because treating in, in in what I do and how it is that I, uh, whether it's my medicine or my personal beliefs and those types of things, honestly, if we could just treat every dog, every human as an individual based yes. on their qualities, both good and bad, and then then do what we need to do in face of that. If we could go through life, whether it's human relationships, whether it's education, self-empowerment, entrepreneurship, whatever engagements we get into, especially with our uh, advocacy and responsibility for our, our pets, if we could just approach, retreat, treat, uh, and uh, respond, not react, to them as individuals, not as a label, not as having a tag on you, not as being, you know, pigeonholed or something. I mean, because each one of these these cats, just like you and I and everyone that we know and every other breed of dog and cat, every other, everything, they're very much so individuals. So if we could try to be a little bit more, I guess, holistic is the word I'm looking for here, just try to see them as a creature, you know, you know, uh, and approach them that way so i, I wish uh, you right i wish that i don't know why
1: question, so hard. yeah i wish the first question we ask wasn't always what breed is he why don't we yeah. ask what is he like what is what how is his relationship with humans how is he treated by humans what has he been through yeah. exactly what's his personality no, qu- what are his qualities no. well know
2: the first question that we ask when we approach somebody that's got one is like you know, is it okay if I pet your dog, or is it? Do do they like being pet? Not versus like, Ooh, you know, that that shock value. So it's like, because the answer nine out of ten times going to be, heck yeah, they want to get a pet. Heck yeah, they want it. You know. And then I think oh, yeah. with you, I think during your classes, correct me if I'm wrong, you teach people how to approach a dog, regardless of what kind of breed it is, to make sure you yeah. don't surprise them. Or can you go over that just a little bit? And then especially with our, um when we approach a dog or a human, our body language speaks volumes about how our interaction is going to be. You know, so
0: Absolutely. I, I
2: would, I, yeah, so if you can go over that a little bit, I would really appreciate that. And then also, if you can touch on the history of our temperament testing, like we got on to a little bit before, before Becky was so kind to join us.
1: Oh, sure. I was oh, right. that, the, the, um, the American Temperament Test Society, Inc., is an organization that tests all dogs and mixes of all dogs um, in regards to their temperament. They expose them to lots of excitable situations, to um, loud noises, gunshots. They expose them to friendly people and friendly dogs and threatening people and threatening dogs. And they give them a score based on Uh how... Based on how they do in these tests, well, the American, well, let me first say an average. An average, all dogs on average score about eighty-three percent on this test. The poodle okay. terriers consistently score above average at eighty-six point eight. Now, some of the <laughs> other breeds they test are beagles. Beagles earn a score of eighty percent. Golden retrievers eighty-five point two. German shepherds eighty-four point eight, and miniature poodles seventy-seven point five. So you can see, our pits have pretty good temperaments.
2: Yeah, they're overachievers, aren't they? Overachievers, especially, <laughs> they really especially are. think they're just overachievers. Everything that we point them towards, everything that we ask them to do, that they're just overachievers. I know when I was in veterinary medical school, um, I we had some of this temperament testing just for you know for our education, but also we brought our own dogs. And I honestly think the opening and closing of the umbrella, the Mm-hmm. crutches, the wheelchair, the rattle can mm-hmm. with the nails in it. I, I You know what? I, our dogs came unglued, to be perfectly frank with you. You know what those temperament tests, like that, that shocking noise or that surprise. Mm-hmm. I can't even imagine doing with gunfire. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and that's we
1: why it's so important, to, yeah, it's so uh, important to, to expose all of our dogs, any dogs, to a lot of different things. We ask them to live in a society that's foreign to them. You know, we, we're asking them to fit in and succeed, and we need to help them. Yeah, you know, that's, yeah. Absolutely. And as far as approaching a dog, it's not natural for a dog to approach a person or another dog nose-to-nose head-on. You uh-huh. know, if you watch a dog approach another dog by themselves off lead, they'll usually go from behind or from the side. Um, it's, it's just threatening for someone to come face-to-face with them that they don't know. Right, so it's right, always good right. to approach from the side, you know, from an angle at least. You know, let them sniff you. Let them come to you first. Right, you know, right, and then, right. And same with your dogs on leash. Don't let your dogs go up to another dog on leash and meet them nose to nose. Yeah, it's, it's just, that, just the whole, their body
2: language and the whole posture that goes into an event like that. And you can even imagine, translate that to you and I. If you and I came up to each other head on, and got as close right. as these guys did. I would be in defensive posture immediately, but that's just
1: me.
0: <laughs> but oh, well, it, well me
1: too. And I think a lot. We all have our bubble, you know, our yeah. space that we need. You know, what's what's acceptable and what's not. And if you have a dog that has a bigger dog bubble, that's fine too. You know, if you have a dog, it's Yeah, I love that. <laughs> if you have a dog, it's not a dog, dog park. <laughs> and you know, sometimes you have to tell people. You know, because they don't know. If you have a dog that's not up, doesn't want to meet new dogs, isn't good with dogs he doesn't know. You need to tell people, take responsibility for that. If you don't, Hmm?
0: right? Or
2: like you, you know, if you're one of your, you know, like your cases and such. Or let's say my dog is a little uncomfortable, like physically uncomfortable. Or my dog is, you know, recovering from something. Or my dog just, just like you and I, it's like you know what? I just don't want to take a phone call today. I just don't want to talk to anybody today. So you know, helping them that way, just say, you know what. My dog's just not feeling great today or you know, just in giving give him fair warning, so and I know that right. um, there are folks out there that don't respect that at all, but you know, just to protect our friends, we have to right. be as honest as possible, like you've said. Now and with, with your, your you want, Yes, yes, absolutely. Now with your to delve into your personal life a little bit, with your guys, can you um help, uh, discuss with our audience in the next ten minutes or so? how you approach them with regard to the home life, with regard to our exercise, nutrition, medical care, those types of things. So how you translate what it is you believe. And I know that, I know that you do a very holistic approach to things, especially with our medicine and our foods. Can you go over that to try and give our friends the best life possible? I would really appreciate that because I think you're one of the best folks I know doing this.
1: Sure. Uh, I mean, a lot of people think I'm very extreme. A lot of people I know think I'm <laughs> a little crazy, even. Um, but I, you know, I've lost dogs to cancer and things like that, and it's not fun. I, you know, I want to do the best thing I can for them. I want them to be healthy and happy. So I like to feed them whole foods, natural foods that are breed specific. I mean, and up until. Well, it was just after World War I that these kibble diets became popular and widespread. And until then, for 99% of the dog's time on Earth, it ate a natural diet, breed-specific, you know, raw meat, yeah. vegetables, things like that. Yeah. Even before even before kibble um, was real popular, they had table scraps, you know?
0: Exactly. What they were from exactly. humans.
1: So I would like to... I like to treat my dogs medically, um, limited toxins, limited you know prescription drugs, things like that. you know I'm conservative when it comes to vaccines and right. i like and I give them supplements so and what what about their home life are they are they like laying on your bed right now or they sure you know? are <laughs> they sure are they're 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 my family you know they go everywhere with me, do everything with me. Um, you know, I hike with them. They, they're they house dogs, you know. they're, yeah. You know, there are always house rules, but they're not resident dogs. There's a difference between a pet and a resident dog. A resident dog is, you know, a dog that someone keeps in a shed or in an enclosure in the backyard or on a chain or something like that. And that's no way for a dog to live. That's you know, they're social, like we are. We can't isolate them and expect them to not be a little crazy.
2: Right, right, right. Now this is this is interesting, Jamie. Um apparently Becky wants to say something else to you. So give me one second here. Becky, are you there again, huh? Let's let give her a second. Becky. Oh well, let's see here. Sorry about that. Oh, let me see. Uh, let me see here. This this is our question, I'm sorry. Um let's see an emailed question that we have from one of our listeners, Jamie, that you can respond to. Are there any questions that people should ask when adopting a pit bull or any other dog with a history of abuse if they want to make sure that it is one that will be able to adapt to a friendly and lovable? Let me see. Let me reread this. Um, Are there questions that people should ask when adopting a pit bull or any dog with a history of abuse if they want to make sure that it is one that will be able to adapt and be friendly and lovable? It's an email question from our listeners. What do you think, Jamie? What do you think?
1: Well, I think first of all, if you know the dog has a history of abuse, um, we need to evaluate the dog in this moment, how they are right now, um, because dogs don't hold on to things. They, you know, they're more of a live in the moment. Things will affect them from their past, yes, but they can get past uh-huh. a lot. So, I mean, and what do you think, Dr. O? I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, the thing is that. A lot of their issues is that
2: they get uh, stressed in a similar way as they did during their abuse or they run across things that are triggers for whatever the situation with their abuse. But um, in my history, a lot of times you don't know the exact circumstances of their abuse when they finally got to right. get away from it and they're up for adoption. But many times the foster parent, the adoptive parent, the rescue facility, the a shelter, they can answer a lot of those questions for you. And then I always encourage people to spend a lot of time with them, a lot of time. Sit down on the ground with them, play with them, talk to them. And then the people that have been with them after they've come out of an abusive situation, they'll know a lot. You know, they're going to be a wealth of information. And just because you adopt doesn't mean that your relationship with that adoptive agency stops. You know, you can go back back and forth with questions with these guys. And then seek out somebody that can help with temperament testing or obedience testing or somebody that's had these guys before to help you. But uh, with my history with these guys, um, they uh, they always
1: adapt and they always make friendly and lovable um, um,
2: creatures. They do. You know, family and members. The, but,
1: yeah, the Michael Vick uh, dogs are a good example of that.
2: Yeah, they, um, without getting too detailed about that, can um, you talk about the dogs that they were in a bu- horrible, abusive situation and they made it to... Best friends, I
1: believe, yes. Uh, yes. and they done quite well. Yes, I think there were um forty eight Michael Vick dogs seized and uh-huh. only one of them only one of them displayed any aggression towards humans at all. These were abused fighting dogs, tortured dogs. Right. And um all of them are now living in either sanctuaries or have been adopted into homes.
2: Yes, so that that's a lot. Great. And, uh, and that—that's—it's um, so the amount of work that went into those guys, and to let them know that, you know, bipeds, humans, we're not going to hurt you anymore. You know, we, you, those those and those were, in my opinion, some of the most that became uh, some of the most abused dogs that ever came into public forums. You know, with regard to mass media and such, uh, and that they did great. I mean, they just
0: just did great with the
2: help of loving people and they got into new homes. And you can still track those guys um, by getting a hold of, you know, the best friends friends, um, in uh, Canav Utah. And um, they they did great. So if you want to go to an extreme and knowing their history, knowing what these dogs went through and knowing how it is that they got them back to trusting or to, you know, to being able to get past a history of abuse, they're a perfect example of how wonderful these guys are as a breed um, to try and overcome and just wanting to be with us, you know. So, Jamie, yeah. um, we, we've got a couple more minutes here. and I'd like to turn this around and ask you, w- your relationship with pit bulls and your relationship with your personal dogs and the, our listening audience, what have they brought to your life? What have they done in and of themselves, just, what have these guys, your relationship with these guys done to help you and how can you share that with our listening audience globally it's for encouragement with regard to, you know, kind of opening up our minds and our hearts to these guys?
1: They've done everything for me. <laughs> Jeez, <blunt. laughs> they've done everything for me. I can't even express, people say, these dogs are lucky to have you or that you found them. No, I'm the lucky one. <laughs> they, I mean, they've, they've, brought me to new things and to meet new people like you. Um, they brought me here today to be talking to people and trying to help more dogs through listeners and, you know, yeah. putting the yeah. word out there and education and things like that. So they, you yeah. know, it's hard, for, it's hard for me even to express what they do for me. They do everything for me.
0: Uh, what, what would you
2: say, when you, we've, got our, we've got three more minutes to talk to the world about how wonderful these guys are and how we can help them and how being in a relationship with a um, creature that is, um, I don't even know what the right word is at this point, um, misunderstood, okay? How how does that help us as as a general population to step outside of our fear bubble or step outside of what the media says? Well,
1: that's just it. It helps us us be better people, be better human beings. You know, we need to not be discriminatory, not be racist, and... You know, not. We need to act like the evolved humans that we we're supposed to be, <laughs> and not, and not judge. You know, just not judge. And yeah. I think once once we realize that there is this creature there who was misunderstood and is willing to forgive us and never judge us, you know, we want to return the favor. All
2: right, all right. No, you you couldn't you couldn't be more on target here, um, and with. I, I can only speak for myself at these last couple moments of moments of our show here that I really want to encourage everyone that's listening to visit a shelter, to go and meet meet a pity, meet, meet a pity cross in a very safe, loving, wonderful environment with people who know that creature, and try and step out of our fear envelope. You know, do, Making judgment calls and living our life based on fear, <laughs> it, 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 it can come to no good. And that if we can, inside of our bubble... Try to treat the world in every aspect as if we were blind, colorblind, blind, blind. Just take, take them as individuals. And I think that like, um, Jamie's been so great to bring to us with these pitties and their history and their wonderful adaptivity that um, they're, they're a gift to us and that they teach us every single day. So I really want to thank Jamie for being on the show today, and hopefully we can revisit this down the road. Um, Jamie, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and all of your information.
1: Thank you so much. No, you're very welcome, honey. And I heard my...